Let's stay standing so we can pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. And we just want to declare all the songs we've sung today are about your holiness, about your bigness, your goodness, and about us declaring out loud, hallelujah, that we would crown you as the king, that we would say, you're the king of our hearts, you're the king of our life. And pray today that you would help us now as we just sit here now and we listen as we get to witness an account where you were here on earth with this man named Zacchaeus and how we, each one of us, could be able to see and hear today how much you love us, how much you gave for us, and that we might experience joy today, the joy of knowing you, of knowing we're accepted. So many of us struggle with feeling acceptable. It's deep in our core who we are. Help us to see you today, looking at us with these eyes of love. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to invite you to have a seat. That would be wonderful. Thanks so much for being here today. It's, uh, we're making our way into August, right? The dog days of August and um, the smoke and all that's going on around us and so I want to welcome you. We're in our continuing our series called Open Table, and uh, just it's been so good uh, as we've been in the series together. And uh, I don't know. I just thinking about. I just want to bring up today just a couple of tough things uh, this week as we've looked at the fires and the damage, um, and uh, we just watched the newscasts and. We're so grateful. Uh, one, honest, we're grateful we're not there. That's, that's not where we live. Um, but yet we also are drawn to uh, want to pray and care for those. And so at the end of the service today, I mentioned to you in my email blast this week, we'll be receiving an offering um, that we'll send to help the fire victims, uh, specifically of the car fire. That would be wonderful. And so we'll be doing that at the end of the day. Um, and then uh, we've also, as a church family, we've gone through a death that um, just had a lot of ripples through lots of us as a 17-year-old young man who um, part of our family took his life last week. And um, we had a memorial service on Friday that was extremely uh, painful and yet extremely hopeful as well. Uh, and so it was uh, really hard. And so I'm feeling all that, and I know some of you, you're not feeling quite the, at the same depths I am today, but I just thought, you know, I need, I need to laugh. <laughs> I need something to bring me some joy, and maybe that's you today. And so I got this email a couple of weeks ago from uh, Lindsay Barrett, who was singing right here today. I just love having Lindsay sing with us. And she said, hey, you know, you might want to use this sometime in your series. Uh, it's hilarious. And I thought, oh, great. You know, and Lindsay's pretty hilarious. So if she says something hilarious, it must be. You know, I kind of took her at her word there. And I watched it, and it was funny. It really was. And uh, it does have to do with food and a meal. And it really has to do with how do we pray before a meal? What are the rules? And so let's watch this by John Christ. Today, we're talking about pre-meal prayer. Very confusing subject. A lot of people don't know when to pray, what to pray for, how to pray, who prays. Hey, do you want me to, should I pray? You want to, should we pray? I don't know if, 
all very confusing. We're going to cover it all today. Let's get started. Chips and salsa. Sometimes they bring it to the table before you're even seated. There's no need to pray for that. Lots of people wonder about appetizers. Do you pray for them? Do you not pray for them? No prayer is necessary for an appetizer if you have entrees coming out later. Salad. That is the most confusing thing on the prayer continuum. If it's a side salad or an appetizer salad, no need for prayer there. Now, if it's a main course salad, or you're bringing it out with the rest of everyone else's meal, that then is gonna require some kind of prayer. But I put that kind of in a separate category. For the most part, when you're thinking about salads, just remember this, if it requires dressing, it doesn't require a blessing. Do I pray for coffee? No, are you a psychopath? No one wants to be next to the person at Starbucks that's praying over a latte, you weirdo. Soup, do you pray for soup? Do not pray for soup. It's only bowl-related soups. Anything smaller than that, is always off the hook. I like to say if it comes in a cup, no need to lift up. Everyone knows if you order a hamburger, that's gonna require prayer. But if you order sliders, that does not require prayer. It's a little glitch in the system a lot of people are not aware of. Potato skins, no prayer. Baked potato, prayer. Ask any Bible-believing Christian, they're gonna have a different policy on fries. Some say never eat the fries. Some say eat as many as you want. Here's the policy on fries, up to three Fries is acceptable to eat prior to the prayer. That brings us to dessert. Always a very confusing situation. A lot of times people go out to a show, go to a movie. Hey, should we grab some dessert afterward? Yeah, let me get the creme brulee. I love cheesecake. Ugh. You don't need to pray for that because you've already prayed for your meal earlier in the night. Do you hold hands before you pray? That depends on your situation. If it's a personal family gathering, some close-knit Bible study of some sort, sure, a hold hand wouldn't be uncomfortable. Now, if you're on a Tinder date, that might throw off the mood a little bit. Most of the confusion surrounding pre-meal prayer comes from when to actually pray. Let me just say, on behalf of waiters all over the world, please pray when your waiter is not there. There's nothing worse than a waiter coming out with two full arms of fajitas and you're over there mid-prayer of Jabez. Like, what are you doing? Last but certainly not least, who at the table volunteers to lead the prayer? Lots of people say, the man should lead the prayer. Why is that? I'm not sure, it's 2018. Maybe we should get that rule adjusted at some point in the near future. A lot of people operate under the most spiritual person at the table. They're gonna be the one that should pray because that prayer is gonna be the most powerful and effective. So if you got obviously a pastor, a missionary, even a Christian blogger of some sort, shoot, even a volunteer youth pastor, that prayer is gonna be a little less effective, but it's still gonna qualify. If you're just an average person sitting at the table with obviously more spiritual people around you, you're kind of off the hook, because I feel like God would be like, hey, how come y'all didn't bless this meal? You'd be like, I don't know, ask the pastor, he works for you. <laughs> All right, so a little fun, right? A little fun to do that together, John, Chris. I, actually, somebody told me he's going to be in Auburn uh, on October 20th. So if you wanted to go on October 20th, you can get tickets. Um, you can go to his website, John Chris, and um, he's at Crossroads, Crossroads Calvary Chapel down there in Auburn. So you can go and see him if you wanted to. So Okay, so we got to laugh. Now let's dig in to God's Word and what it says. So grab your message notes if you would. Look like this, and uh, these will really help today. Uh, and you can take some notes, and you can reflect on later. Uh, inside, just there's some extra uh, Bible reading and some study that you do that might help it go a little deeper. You have your Bible open to John, I mean Luke chapter 19. That's where we'll be today. 
or going through these stories in the book of Luke. If you don't own a Bible, I want to give you one today. So if you go right up to those bookshelves, you'll find a Bible. You just grab one. It's yours. If you know someone who doesn't have a Bible, you just grab one and take it to them so that they can have a Bible because we want them to be able to read it as well in their own home. So we're walking through uh, this series, and we're looking at Jesus and how he interacted with people. Uh, they're all recorded by Luke as we're going through this in his account of the Gospels. And we're doing that by looking at the meals that Jesus either was at or participated in in some way, or there's a meal that was insinuated. That's kind of inferred. That's what today's is about. And, and these meals that God uses, me, Jesus uses meals as an opportunity to show people God's grace, to show people that God loves them. And in this case today, to show people that God accepts them. And especially this is important for anyone of this day, uh, in that day, but in this day as well, <laughs> who feels excluded in some way from God's presence or family uh, because God's, pre God's family has judged them or excluded them themselves. And that's what was going on in this day. The religious people uh, had such a high standard for what was to be acceptable that if you didn't fit that, then there was no space for you to experience the grace of God. And when Jesus was here, he made three statements about himself. We've talked about these in this series. All began with the Son of Man. We're going to look at the one today in Luke 19 that says the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. In Mark 10, Jesus said the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served, and then to give his life as a ransom for many. And so that's telling kind of how he's going to do this. He's going to be a servant as he's here. And then in Luke 7, which is on your notes there at the top, he says this, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And so he's saying, here's, here's kind of my whole strategy for how I'm going to share the grace of God while I'm here. I'm going to live an ordinary life, and a lot of what I do is going to be done around an open table, and so everyone's invited to my table. And he says, but you say, when you look at me, here is a glutton and a drunkard. Now, Jesus wasn't a glutton and a drunkard, but when they were looking at him, they were looking for another reason to discredit him and to pull people away from him. And he says, but you are also a friend of tax collectors and sinners, and that's who Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And so Jesus came to break down the barriers between God and people, and then he would reveal God's grace over a meal or a meal setting or meal preparation through the eating and drinking to those who felt at this point they were unacceptable to, unacceptable to God because the religious establishment had labeled them that way. One writer put this about Jesus. In Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. We see him constantly in a meal. So that's why it's a great frame that we put around this series together. And today, as I mentioned in my prayer, we come to the story of Zacchaeus. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how Jesus offers an invitation and his table is open to everyone who feels unacceptable because that's what Zacchaeus felt. Now, research shows that one of our deepest needs as human beings is to know that we matter. You know, that's true. Know that we matter. Know that we have value in some way. To know that we're worth something. To work for, to have significance. There's a lot of talk about, you know, the search for significance that we can have. That we're accepted and loved. Feelings of unworthiness plague our culture today. Feelings of not being accepted not being acceptable. And so what happens is, is that we look for ways to gain acceptance from others. 
So I'm just going to give you four common ways. You might write these down. People seek to find their value or worth apart from Jesus. So the first one would be through their appearance. So that's all. I'm, I, I gained my acceptability on how I look. Um, and so there's a tremendous pressure in our culture today to gauge whether we matter by our skin, our weight, our physique, our hair, etc. And the problem with you know, gaining my worth or value on my appearance is awesome when I'm in my 20s. It's awesome in my, my, in my 30s. But inevitably, things go downhill, right? They just go downhill. Am I right? It just, uh, just No matter how much you do to focus on your appearance, it just does not last. How many are living examples of that right now? Just raise your hands. Okay, okay, we got it, we got it. Okay. How many are sitting next to someone who's... No, don't, don't raise your hand, okay? Don't do that. <laughs> the second way is through approval, is through approval. So we ask the question, what do others think about me? And we're always trying to make sure that everyone thinks about me in a certain way, to base my value and worth on what others think, though, is just crazy because we're all fickled, right? We're all crazy. What is approval worthy today may not be approval worthy tomorrow. We've seen that approval polls change, right? So we go to the approval polls and see what people say, and then we take an approval, approval poll. I'll get it out. <laughs> Maybe I won't even try that again. We'll do that once, and we'll do it twice, and then they change what is important. And so we just realize that's not going to work. So I'm going to say this. Some of you are spending huge amounts of emotional energy trying to gain the approval of someone who is never going to give it to you. And you're stuck. You're stuck. This is why the Bible calls us to live for an audience of one, to live for God and what God thinks of me and how God views me. So what does God think about me? Third is through achievement. Through achievement. So it's by what do I achieve? And so these just people, they feel the more they get done, the more they valued they are. And so they, they get caught up on this. They set goals. They follow strategies. They plan. They work themselves into a frenzied mess. And the problem is that this kind of living leads to workaholism. We've talked a lot about that in this year and series we've had. It leads to uh, living on an endless treadmill because there's never a stop. And then number four, we judge ourselves by our affluence, our affluence by what we have. And so basically, we've decided that my self-worth is based upon my net worth. And if we ever base our self-worth on our net worth, then we're in for trouble. We're in for trouble. The problem is, with all four of these that we've talked about today, that they're superficial and they're temporary markers of worth or value. And here's the deal. They can all vanish more quickly than the time it took to gain them. We can lose it. So if, if, you, if these don't give us acceptance, if these don't give us long-lasting sense of worth and value, if these don't give me what I'm looking for, then where can we go to find value and worth? Well, that's what we're going to see today. We're going to see that in the life of this man named Zacchaeus and this encounter that he has with Jesus. We're going to see how Zacchaeus learned to base his value on what God said about him and not on his appearance. We're going to see he, he wasn't a man that would gain a value from appearance. Not through his approval. He was definitely low on the approval polls. Not through his achievement. He had, he had affluence. But we're going to see that even that was not enough to give him value and worth. So here's the main idea I want to share today. It's kind of right there and um, written in kind of a cursive font there on your notes. And the main idea is this. I can find my value when I learn to believe Jesus accepts me. Got it? 
I can find my value when I learn to believe that Jesus accepts me. So it's not just knowing that Jesus accepts me. I have to learn to believe that he accepts me, and then I can find value in that. And by faith, I grow to believe that he accepts me. So the first idea is this from the story we're going to look at, and then we'll get in, dig into that. First, believe that Jesus accepts me no matter how insignificant I feel, no matter how small I feel, insignificant I feel. So now let's just dig into the story together, okay? Let's just dig in for a little bit. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So it's kind of setting up the story for us about what's happening here. So I just want to make a couple of comments. Uh, is that right now in the life of Jesus, Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. So Jesus is headed to his ultimate destiny, and that is the cross. So right now, Jesus, in what he's doing, everything, you just got to keep in context now, what's happening here is he's moving towards the cross where he's going to die, and he's going to give his life for all sinners, for all mankind, humankind. He's traveling, and the route goes through the city of Jericho. Now, Jericho is a key trade city, and, and it's on the trade route of its day, and it's, a, it's a, really a chief city. It was lush. It was green. How many of you have ever been to Palm Springs, right? Raise your hand. Palm Springs. A lot of you have been to Palm Springs. I've never been there, but I've looked at pictures of Palm Springs. I've looked at pictures of Jericho, and what I've seen is, is just like Palm Springs, Jericho looks a lot like that. Palm Springs is spread with a, I mean, it's fed with a spring, and so that's the same thing that's true about Jericho. It's fed with a spring, and therefore, it was a refreshing place in an otherwise dry and bleak landscape. It was a place where the rich and the famous, kind of like Palm Springs, the rich and the famous had homes and residences. It was a place of opulence and privilege. Now, there was a man who lived in Palm Springs, and his name was Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was part of the, I'll just say, corrupt government tax collection system of his day. So he was part of that. Uh, if you want to hear more about that, uh, John Fairchild, a few weeks ago, the very first week of the series, talked about Levi or Matthew, and La Matthew was a tax collector, and he talked a lot about how tax collectors were despised, and then how Jesus accepts those who are even despised. And so they were some of the most despised people in all Judea. I ran across this week, and I just thought to share this, uh, about the five most despised jobs of this day. So you want to know what they were? Five most despised jobs. First one was this. Fifth one, I mean, is this. Physicians and butchers. Now, they put them together because in that day, I think they were the same. Okay, so kind of the deal. You know, it didn't matter where. You just needed your cow cut or you needed your arm cut. You went to one, you know, did the same thing. Number four, dung collector. So they had to have something to do with all that poop. And so they had to have people collect it. Okay? So number three was money lender. Sorry, money lenders. Uh, because money lenders would lend money to people with, no, with the hope that they could not pay it back so that they could indenture them into slavery. Okay, so that was it. Number two, this was crazy, pigeon trainer. <laughs> pigeon trainer. I'm like, what is that? But I guess pigeon racing was a huge deal in that day. And so there were, you know, pigeon trainers that were unethical and they would throw races in order to be able to gain lucre, you know, gain in money. And then number one was tax collector. It was the most despised job of that day. They were seen as collaborators with the Romans. 
They were considered traitors against their nation. They were seen as three thieves exhorting money from their own people. They were totally ostracized and pushed away, except for those who wanted to get something from them because of their money and then the status that their money was able to buy. They were not allowed to go to the synagogue. They were not allowed to go to the temple. So they were ostracized from everything that had to do with the Jewish society. They, they were Jews, by the way, uh, who were tax collectors that were working for the Romans. And Zacchaeus, so Zacchaeus had the most despised job of anyone in his day. Uh, but to make matters worse, he was not just a tax, collect, tax collector like Matthew. He was the chief tax collector. He was the chief. He was the one who oversaw all the corruption of the system. So he's really corrupt and arrogant. And uh, I would say he's very resourceful at figuring out ways to make people suffer and to get more from them. And so the whole idea of the tax system was that uh, Rome said, here's how much the tax is. The tax collector had to pay that tax, and then the tax collector would then go collect. That was, in, that was in, uh, motivation. And so, but he could collect as much as he wanted. And then the tax collectors all then had to pay the chief tax collector a portion of that. So he was just having, not having to do the work anymore, but he was receiving bounty from what they were doing. Goes on to say this. He wanted, Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, who Jesus was. But because he was short, you might underline that, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, when I was reading this, of course, I thought of the old Sunday school song, right, that some of you know, and maybe, I don't even know if we sing it today in Sunday school, uh, but, you know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he, you know, and it goes, he climbed up in a sycamore tree, somebody finish it. For the Lord he wanted to see. Okay, so that's that. And it goes on. There's more to it, but we're not going to embarrass me any more than that. <laughs> and so here's a picture of a sycamore tree. And uh, this is actually in Jericho. And, um, you know, it has some, says it goes all the way back to Zacchaeus. I'm not sure about that. But it's right there, and you can see how the branches go out. And so it wouldn't be difficult for someone to crawl out and go over one of those branches that went over the road and then just be waiting there as Jesus would come. Now, you can imagine that Zacchaeus, it says, was short. Now, when it uses the word short there, it's not just saying he was, you know, five foot tall and so, or five one or five two or five three or five, he was a little person. Uh, we might say a dwarf. He was a small little person. And so you can imagine uh, that on the playgrounds of his day, just like the playgrounds of our day, that he had a lot of ridicule. Um, and for his size and his stature, they made fun of him. And it could be that as he grew up and became a young man, that he already felt so, and he would have been ostracized and pushed away. Um, there was no special needs ministries. There were no opportunities for people in that day to you know, overlook someone uh, for their, um, what they would call a disability. Uh, and so he was pushed away, ostracized. He was so despised that when it came time to picking a career, you know, like my daughter's graduated from high school, she's starting college, she's thinking about a career. So when it came time for her to pick a career, that he thought, I'm already despised anyway, why not become a tax collector? I can get rich, I can have all this stuff that money can buy, I can become famous, people will bow down to me because of my power. Could be that that's one of the reasons he chose, because other people had already labeled him as unattractive and unlovable. Let's go on to the story. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked, underline that circle, he looked up 
and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So go ahead and underline the word day. That's a key word there. We'll come today. We'll look at that in a little bit. So um, scholars think there's a lot of importance that uh, in a lot of the Bible stories, we hear a name, okay? And when we hear a name, it's because there's a reason. And usually the reason is, is so that this story can be corroborated uh, or that we can learn more about the person from their name and what it means. And so there's a lot of... Uh, Scholars think there's a lot of significance that Luke actually names Zacchaeus, and they think it's because of the beauty of what his name actually means. And so, um, you know, we just think about it. Uh, if you hear this, his name actually means righteous one. His name actually means pure one. Here's Zacchaeus, the tax collector, and his name means righteous one or holy one or pure one. He's despised in every way. And I just think this is so powerful, folks, that the, the God-inspired Bible that we have today has his name there so that we can realize that this one who was insignificant in everyone else's eyes, that God looks at him with another view. God has another view. And this is how God is. God sees us. When God looks at us, he sees us as he created us to be even when we don't see ourselves that way, and as we're going to talk about in a little bit, even when others don't see us that way, he sees us as he made us to become. And when we believe him, when we believe that, when we trust in him, then that's how we receive acceptance, just believing that. But Jesus doesn't just say his name. I think it's significant that you know, he's out on the lamb. Jesus comes underneath. Jesus stops and says Zacchaeus. It says that Jesus then looked up at him. So he looked at him. So I'm thinking that Jesus, when he looked at him, I think the first look in his eye was a twinkle. He knows who Zacchaeus is, right? Already he knows who he is. And then there's a twinkle. He's like, what are you doing, you crazy fool? You know that you're not supposed to be in a tree. You know, in that culture, if it says he ran, in that culture, men didn't run, honestly. It just was something they didn't do. Slaves ran. But also, men of his stature, uh, they couldn't do things that were considered to be childish. And so it's childish to climb a tree. And so I think that, first of all, Jesus would look at him with a twinkle in his eye. You rascal, what are you doing up there? But then I think the second way that Jesus looked at him at the same time was a look of love. For the first time, possibly, in Zacchaeus' life, someone looked at him with eyes of love. I just can't imagine how that would change Zacchaeus' posture and his view of himself. See, Jesus didn't see Zacchaeus through the lens of his belief at the moment and who he was. He saw Zacchaeus through the lens of what God said he could become. That's how Jesus viewed Zacchaeus. And God said about Zacchaeus, this is my creation. And in him lies the potential to be a man of purity, holiness. And by the way, folks, that's true of us, every one of us as well. No matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, I just want you to be thinking about this, that if you could just imagine, and I've 
worked a lot in my life of imagining what Jesus' face is like as he looks at me. It's not stern. It's not angry. It's not disapproving. Uh, it's not, come on. He's looking at me with eyes of love. And I'll add joy. Love and joy. And if we could learn to know that that's how God looks at us, that we'd realize we're not insignificant, but we are significant to God, that that fills us with what we can't gain on our own, fills us with his love and his acceptance. So that's the first thing. Believe that he sees me even though I'm insignificant. Second is this. Believe that Jesus accepts me no matter how others see me. So now we're getting beyond how we view ourselves to how others see us. So at that moment, Zacchaeus looked at Jesus, and he's like, okay. And he came down at once and welcomed him gladly, and all the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. So, you know, all this is going on as they're looking at Jesus. I mean, Zacchaeus, first of all, as I just said, men aren't supposed to run, and they're not supposed to have fun and be in trees. And so people are looking down on Zacchaeus. People look down on Zacchaeus anyway because of his occupation and um, the things that he had done to extort money from them. So there was a, a terrible view that people had of Zacchaeus. And what Jesus does is he looks up at him in the tree, and he invites himself over for dinner. This is the only time. All the other times, it's Jesus either ends up there or is invited to, but this is the only time Jesus invites himself to dinner at the home of the most repulsive man in town, invites himself there. And with the extension of grace, love, and acceptance and hospitality that Jesus, uh, Zacchaeus felt, he was filled with joy and he scurried down from the tree, and he took Jesus home, and he welcomed him into his house. So as he's down from the tree, and he and Jesus are walking together to his house, the crowd who had been following Jesus. Now, when Jesus uh, walked through a town, he didn't just have, you know, like we see Bible movies, and they'll have like 20 characters following Jesus. That's not the way it was. There would be a whole parade of people following Jesus. And so when they see this scene happen, there are people in front, people behind, they see it actually happen there. Those who were angry with Jesus, they took this as an opportunity to speak down against Jesus and also Zacchaeus. And the scripture says there that they muttered. They muttered. They muttered loudly. Jesus is going to have dinner with a sinner. And they muttered that over and over again. If it were today, I think that someone would have made a placard, a poster, and they would have been protesting at that point. And I can see the sign in my mind right now, and it would be this. No dinners with sinners. No dinners with sinners. No dinners with sinners. And so they'd be saying that. They're muttering that. Can you just hear it? Going through the crowd, all the crowd, just start, it just catches on. No dinners with sinners. No dinners with sinners. That's exactly the picture that Luke is giving us. Exactly the picture. Zacchaeus, though, comes down that tree, and he's oblivious to what everyone else is saying at that point, and instead he enjoyed the acceptance, and he rejoiced in that, the acceptance that he received from Jesus and being able to be in that relationship with him at that moment, no matter what people were muttering against him and Jesus. The moment is filled with toxicity. It's people murmuring against him. They didn't want, here's the deal, folks. They didn't want Jesus to forgive Zacchaeus. They didn't want that. 
they wanted Jesus to condemn Zacchaeus for who he was and what he had done. You know what, folks? The Bible says so clearly in John chapter 3 that Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but Jesus came to save the world. And the way that Jesus shows us that he came to save the world as he's moving to the cross is by extending the invitation to people who are excluded and unacceptable that they can come to his table because his table is open to anyone at any time, no matter what you've done or no matter what others say about you. And that leads Zacchaeus to the doorway of transformation, doorway to transformation. He gets to move beyond his reputation and he begins to become a person that fulfills the character of his name. And the same can happen to us. As number three, we believe that Jesus accepts us no matter how stuck I may be. No matter how stuck I may be. No matter what my struggle is. So now we don't know how much time has gone by here. Um, that there are some scholars who say that Jesus not just went to Zacchaeus' house for a meal, but the language actually would indicate that he stayed overnight or a day or two. So he and Zacchaeus are hanging out together, and Zacchaeus is feeling Jesus' love and acceptance. But here's what happens as a result of feeling accepted. He moves beyond being stuck in the struggles he has. Here's what it says. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, here's the change, Lord, it was against the Roman law to call anyone except Caesar Lord. So now we know that he's been transformed. We know he's been changed And so he works for the Roman government, and he's now saying to Jesus, you are Lord, Lord, here, and now I give half my possessions to the poor. So here he was saying, you know, we go look at him thinking he gets his worth and value from affluence. He's saying, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor, and he doesn't stop there. And if I have cheated anybody about anything, and this wasn't saying, oh, by chance, Jesus, if I have cheated someone, he was not, that's not what this means right here. It means it's, a, it's assurance. I have cheated. And so those I have cheated, I will pay back four times the amount. Four times the amount. So he's got half left, and now he's going to pay four times back to everyone he's cheated. So you can picture the transformation that's happened to him. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. And this is just crazy cool. It's just crazy. Zacchaeus has an encounter with Jesus, and immediately he's changed. Immediately he's transformed. Jesus says, today, that's why that word is so important, today, right now, salvation has come to this house, and Zacchaeus is now a true son of Abraham. Now, this is a dig right at the religious leaders of the day. He's a true son of Abraham. He's not like those, is what Jesus was saying, not like those who claim to be someone claim to be the children of Abraham because of heritage or because of position, he truly is a son of Abraham because of faith and because of belief. He has said yes to Jesus Christ. Zacchaeus accepted because he believed in Christ. And the sign that he was no longer stuck, that he was now a different person. Now, you got to know, Jesus didn't tell him not to be a tax collector anymore, but I believe that what he did was he changed his tax collecting ways. So now, tax collecting could be done with ethics and with integrity. But it was deeper than that. He gave over half his wealth away, 
He paid, paid back anyone. He extorted money four times from what he'd taken. Now, just a little Bible here. This comes from Exodus 22. In Exodus 22, it gives you the commands for restitution. And so if you cheated someone, you were supposed to give them 20% more than you cheated, okay? So cheated. But if you cheated someone and you did bodily harm or that you abused them in some way, you were supposed to pay them back four times as much. So what Zacchaeus here is he's confessing, I was the worst of the worst. I was the worst of the worst. And so I'm going to pay everyone back four times what I actually took for them. What I use and what I've done is so despicable and so ruthless that I'm paying the highest restitution for my crime. No plea bargaining. No plea bargaining here. He says, I'm going to take full responsibility for what I've done. This story is similar to one that had taken place just previously. This recorded in Luke chapter 18 when a man came to Jesus and Jesus asked him to give away all of his wealth. And this is what it says. It says Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Because the man had said no, he couldn't give it away. And those who had heard this said, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. So Zacchaeus was an impossible case to the people who were around him. And he was stuck. And he was even stuck in his own mind. And so this was saying, and this is encouragement for you today. What is impossible for men is, is possible for God. So you think of the person you think is the furthest away from God's kingdom. And you've been praying. And you've been wondering when, when is going to be the time. And maybe over time you've pulled away. Pulled away from them because you're not sure if they're ever going to make that choice. What we have to remember here is what the scripture is saying. That what is impossible for us to even fathom, I would say, is possible for God to not only fathom, to make possible and to do. Now what? Because Luke 18 and Luke 19 are back to back in the encounters. Now his followers were able to see a living example of what Jesus had just said. They will see a living example. No one is beyond the loving arms of the grace of God. No one. No one is excluded. Everyone is welcome to his open table. But let's don't get confused. Let's don't be thinking that Zacchaeus' act of giving half his wealth away and then paying back four times what he had taken was what created his acceptance before God. It wasn't what he did. It was what he had done. And it was by faith he believed that Jesus was who he said he was. And he received his entrance into the kingdom of God by faith. So he wasn't doing penance and then received grace because of penance. He was serving because he had received grace. So he was giving away because he received grace. Okay, last idea is this. We get to, and this is Jesus' purpose statement. And so this is the observation for this whole story. Here's, believe that Jesus accepts me no matter how far I've gone or what I've done. No matter how far I've gone or what I've done. So I was thinking about this. You know, I got to go to Oklahoma and visit my mom recently and and the time I was there, I got to see two old high school friends. And one of them I had not seen in 
43 years. Um, <laughs> can't believe that. <laughs> it was weird. <laughs> and so, you know, we're just talking, and, and we're there together, and, and we're chatting. And so, um, as I was thinking about this, I realized, you know, that I was, I was a Zacchaeus. And so, there's absolutely nothing I could have done, but apart from the grace of God, and both of these people looked at me like I was some kind of walking miracle, um, because they remembered me from those days and, and who I was. But you know what? I, I just think that when Zacchaeus was in that tree and uh, that as he was hanging there and that Jesus called his name and then looked at him and said, I want to go to your house today, that, that was similar to me. And one day when I was in a church and I was listening to God and I was hearing his grace extended, and so I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, God, you don't know what I've done. I was forgetting he's God. You don't know what I've done, and I'm not worthy of your grace. And he just reminded me that moment that I could never be worthy of his grace, but that he would give me his grace because of what Jesus did on the cross, that he would receive me. Second time that happened is when I sensed he was calling me to be a pastor and it was like the phone rang, and it was God. And he says, hey, Ron, I want you to be a pastor. I'm like, you've got the wrong number, God. <laughs> and I said, I'm serious. This is the conversation we had. Because you don't remember, remember everything I did before. And going back to Oklahoma, I was reminded a lot, of, a lot of things I did before. And God said, it doesn't matter what you did before. It's kind of like Zacchaeus, you know, that he had had a vision of a future for Zacchaeus. He had a vision of a future for me. And he has a vision of a future for you. And it doesn't, not, it doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what others say. It doesn't matter how you view yourself. God says, I view you through the lens of my son, Jesus Christ. Come to me. Come to me. And this is what it says. It says, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. This is one of the most moving verses in the Bible. Because he came seeking. He didn't let us make us have to seek him. But he came to then save. And the lost here is the one of the most deeply endearing terms in the Bible. There's a lot of derision about what lost means in our culture today. But when the Bible uses the term lost, it's one of the most endearing words available. We, we met so much to him that he was willing to go to the cross so that we could be saved, unlost, brought back into his family. And I just love that. And I want to end today with two questions. These are, this is kind of the application today. And so the question I want to end first with is right there in your notes. It says, who can I invite to Jesus' open table? So in this series, what we've been doing is I've been encouraging you to, um, this summer, this was a very long series, and I've been encouraging you this summer that you would find opportunity and pray that there'd be someone that you could invite into your home or to a restaurant, or to a coffee shop that um, it seems to be far from God, and you would do it strictly for the purpose of just having a meal or a cup of coffee. And you might talk about Jesus while you're there, but you would establish a relationship. So I just want to ask, how many of you have taken me seriously there? How many of you have taken me have anybody? Has anybody done that? This is going to be really a hard question right now. Has anybody done that? Would you raise your hand if you have? You've seen that this was something that you wanted to do, that you've taken that initiative. Right there. You were the first person I looked at. I want to give you something today. Come right up here. Come here. Yeah, come up here. 
So here's what we're going to do the last five weeks of the series, is that we're going to make it possible for you to take someone out on God. Let's just say on God, okay? And so for the next few weeks of the series, what we're going to do is that we're going to give away um, gift cards to local restaurants, coffee shops in our community. Now, we didn't go to them and ask for donations. We paid for these. You know, so many of the restaurants and our businesses in town give to nonprofits, but we wanted to support our local businesses. So we made sure it's a local business and uh, that someone that we could support. And so what we're doing is we're giving away, and there's enough here, hopefully, that you'll be able to take, in this case, it's to treats. And so that you'll be able to take someone there and have an experience where you'll be able to share um, some, maybe something about your faith, but why you're doing this, that your church said well, you've wanted... They wanted you to try it. So what's your name? Teresa. Teresa. What's your last name? Shackleford. Teresa Shackleford. Would you guys just give her a hand? And now she's going to be the one that goes out and does that this week. So this shouldn't stop you because I didn't give you a gift card, okay? Who can you invite to God's open table? Who will you invite? Just have a conversation about him. And then the last question is this. Will I accept Jesus' invitation and welcome him in. Will I accept his invitation to welcome him in? When Jesus looked into the eyes, when Zacchaeus looked into the eyes of Jesus and he heard his invitation, he hurried down with joy and gladness in his heart. And I just want to say today, will you do the same? If you've never said yes to Jesus Christ, would you let this be the day that you said to him? It says in John chapter 1, all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. And we are acceptable in his eyes. Acceptable. Would you bow your heads and let's pray together? God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to hear from you today. And I just love you, Jesus. And I love the opportunity I had to just dig into this message and what it did for me. And I just pray for us now. And I just pray for the ones who've never said yes to Jesus, that they just felt there's no way. They, they're, they've done the whole thing. You don't know what I've done, Ron. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what others say. And that um, I just want to ask you today, would you put aside that, those thoughts, and would you just look in the eyes of Jesus, and there's no condemnation there, none. It's longing, and it's love. Would you just be willing today to say to Jesus, okay, like Zacchaeus, I'm going to climb down out of my tree, I'm going to put away my pride, and I'm going to come to you, Jesus. I accept the invitation to be at this table today. And Jesus, because of what you did for me on the cross, you made it possible for me to be known by my Father. And now, Jesus, this is for all of us in the room, all of us. Because even when we're in Christ, sometimes we can take detours. Sometimes we can move away. We feel guilty. We feel shame for that. That remember that when you say yes to Jesus Christ, that God writes your name on his palm. God writes your name on his hand. And in that name is his promise to you, his future for you. In heaven and here. Purpose you have for him, to live for him, to be a light for him in this world. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this opportunity. It's in your name we pray. Amen.